This is cleaner. Excuse me. Hmm? All right, let's welcome back to this weekend interview with Anthony Drago on tdnradio.net. And as I told you before the break, we're also live on TDN TV, tdntv.net, which is the sister station to TDN Radio. And, and I love doing TDN um, TV because it gives you a chance to actually see not so much me, but you see my guests. And, and not only are my guests very experienced and accomplished um, folks, but they're pretty good, nice looking, um, nice to look at. So, so I think it enhances the whole ambience of, of this weekend interview to have, to have the guests. My, my guest tonight on, um, on this weekend interview is uh, Miss Sharon Dorival. Welcome back, Sharon. You were with us uh, last week, and uh, mm -hmm. I'm delighted to have you back. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Okay. And also, uh, I wouldn't say long lost friend, but it's a while she hasn't been on, um, but um, not on air, but I know she's constantly um, supporting TDN Radio and, and whatever it is that we do, and we appreciate that. Catherine, it's really a pleasure to have you back on this weekend interview. It's great to be back. Awesome, awesome. When I follow your work, you uh, you're supposed to be inspired me with, your, with both of you guys. You guys just write um, something that I hope to do. <laughs> and for full disclosure, um, Catherine is my accountability partner, so she's cracking the whip to get me writing and. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, we'll see some fruits from all her labor. It, um, they had the hard task of getting me to to write, but but it's a delight to have both of you. Um, even though the topic that we are going to discuss is is sort of somber, um, it's a topic that oh boy, it's it's like a monster. Uh, it, it's like we um, a go wash a shimela, a big stone in the road. Um, for a lot of our folks, uh, because Alzheimer's is is such an unwieldy um, situation to deal with from so many aspects, and um, so as as more folks are forced to stay indoors, they are starting to get a little bit more experience of what a regular caregiver for somebody who is experiencing Alzheimer's is going through. And because so much of your, when you're a caregiver for someone with Alzheimer's, so much of your time that you could be outside of your house is limited. And so we all get a little bit of a taste. So the next time we come across somebody who is um, taking care of someone with Alzheimer's, we, we can be a little more genuinely empathetic because we have a little bit of that experience. And none of us are, professionally trained 
psychologists or, or mental health experts. At least I'm not. Maybe some, some, maybe you guys are, you will say if you are. Um, but as lay people, we interact with Alzheimer's, we interact with caregivers who, who are affected by Alzheimer's. And that is what we're going to discuss tonight. Uh, Catherine released a story a few years ago about a, 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 a family who is experiencing Alzheimer's. Uh, Sharon has written at least three books that, has, um, that addresses Alzheimer's to, to one extent or another. One is totally about it, and uh, the two others, um, it's, it's influenced in there. And so we're going to bring those works into, into the discussion because we're still on the, on the quest to get our listeners to read more. And as you look for more stuff to read, uh, we encourage you to support our local authors, and not just because we're supposed to, but also because there's so much to benefit from what they write about and what they have to share with us. And so I'm going to go over to, to both of my guests, Catherine Dorset and Ms. Um, Sharon Darval. Both of you, and we, I just want to give you a few minutes to just talk about Alzheimer's in general. If you've interacted with it close up, um, we can, you can talk about that. If you've interacted with it through an associate, through somebody that you know, if you interact with it in a professional way, uh, just spend a few minutes and, and let's just talk about um, any interaction or your impressions of, of the impact of Alzheimer's. Catherine, I'll start with you. Um, well, good evening again, everyone. My interaction or my knowledge of Alzheimer's is from, from reading, um, probably watching a movie. I do remember, though, that I had an aunt, a very, very, very old aunt. I must have been around eight or so. And um, at that time, they used to have the, the mental ward and the TB ward right next to Princess Margaret Hospital, but in a long building. I don't know if you know it, um, Tony. Yes. Mm -hmm. Up in, in Goodwill. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember going to see her, but she couldn't remember us. So that was my first um, introduction to, uh, to Alzheimer's. I, I didn't know what it meant at the time. I just figured, well, she was old, so mm -hmm. old people mm -hmm. don't remember. So that was nothing to it. But then over the past few years, I have gotten close to a friend, she's actually an actress in one of my movies. And um, her husband has dementia. And some of the, some of his moods, you know, it was like, you know, he's okay this second. And then he will ask you, um, he just spoke to you, he knows who you are. And then he would ask you, um, hello, can I help you? Uh, what's your name? And I was like, okay. At first, you think he's playing because he looks okay, he seems all right, but it does, it does really, um, for me, it was interesting, but in a sad way, because I'm thinking, how would I feel if this is my husband or my brother or my son and he doesn't know me? It's, and not only that, but how does he feel being surrounded by so many close strangers? Close, but strangers. I mean, it has to be frustrating for him, scary. And, and the idea of looking in, in the mirror 
and not knowing yourself. I mean, this has to be the, the, the worst ever. And that's actually how my book came about. It was just about um, Mental Health Month. And I remember some of the things that she was experiencing, some of the things that we spoke about. And I thought I would try to capture it in a book that would kind of give you the, the patient side of it and the family side of it. Because this disease, I mean, it, it, it creates pain for everybody concerned. For everybody that, that's involved, right? Certainly. So yeah, um, that, that is your interaction. And we'll, we'll circle back to you. And, and and talk about your your work. I, I read it. It's it's pretty touching. Uh, Sharon, same same scenario. Um, tell us your interaction, um, the impact, if any. You know, just talk about Alzheimer's and and how, and lay the ground for your perspective and your approach. Welcome again, and thanks for having me, Anthony, everyone. Good evening. Well, for me, I have been looking care, taking care of people since I was 12. I started volunteering at the Grotto Home for the Homeless. I don't know if it's still there. I've been gone for a while. But I used to go there and volunteer on the weekends and sometimes on holidays. And I just used to feed when I was still young, feed them and just read stories for them. Mm -hmm. It was when I came to Canada that I, I realized that something is different from... Dominica and Canada, when I started interacting with people in the community, like some people used to want to um, pay me to look, take care of their loved ones. I'm like, I can't pay, accept money from you, right? Because in my country, that's not what we do. But anyways, I got encouraged and I, I went to school and I studied about that. Um, I took the healthcare aid course, actually, better known as personal support worker at CDI College in Toronto. And my eyes were wide open because when I went to the practical and we had to do it, I went to a different nursing home, I had to um, practice in some hospital, I had to do home care. It was a different world. It was nothing like I raised up in Dominica. Because in Dominica, we, we are right there in the community, within the village, raising our old people, our grandmas, everybody stay for us. We don't, put them into homes, unless like those in Grotto Home is because they had no family. As they say, Grotto Home for the homeless. They were homeless, right? That is why they were here. But in Canada, I realized that yes, they have homes, but their children pay to have them looked after. That baffled me. So while working, you know, and I come from a lot of experiences and I'm like, why you don't take care of your kid, of your family? Your mom took care of you and then you put them there. And some of them, when they put their kid there, their mother's there. They never turn back. Like, I was like touched. I'm like, ha, huh. in my country, you could never see that. And then when they put me like a for experience more into the locked unit, I realized something even different because first I started in home care and home care, going into independent living to the locked unit. That's a different stage. So home care, like they'll stay at their home and I just go for two hours a day. I take care of them, I cook for them, I do whatever. When I go into independent living, I still have to like feed them, serve them and stuff, but they were able to still drive their car, go out. Then I went into the lock unit and they are locked. And so when they lock me in there, even I don't have a coat, I am like them. I can't get out. So I worked there a couple of years and I, you know, sometimes I think it went into my head because like the continuous questions, the same questions over and over. Who are you? 
They would ask, what's your name? Where's my home? Where are my children? These are my things. But I don't belong here. That's not my home. And you know, what do you tell these people? At first, I go in straight off and say the truth. I say, well, this is your home. You're staying here. Then trouble start. This is not my home. I had a farm. I had an acreage. This is not my home. Where are my children? Call Sharon. Call this. Call my son. No, they have to get me out of here. How do you deal with that? Then some family would come in and total despair because, yes, they were asking for this family. Now they come in. They don't remember them. They totally ignore them. They would leave and walk away. Some grandchildren run after them. They don't real, realize that it's the same close family that they once loved that's there, that's there. And then they totally forgot. Then as soon as they turn their back, as we read in a Miss Dorset book, they will ask for their family, you know, or, or something like that. Like, but yeah, they were just there and you, you forget them. So my, in my mind, it's like, is there a cure? As I talk in, ment in a Monkey My Madness, is there a cure? What is the cure for Alzheimer's, this devastating disease? You know, and I still continue learning every day through books, through talking to people out in the community, through training. Now we do online training this year from my work, and I appreciate that. And through talking, listening on the radio, talking to Anthony and other people, I will learn more. And I want to help more. But like, I want to also tell the people, Alzheimer's, yes, is a disease. But we must not look at the disease but look at the person with the disease because like by me doing that, I learned not to look at that disease, but see the real person. Like for example, I would look at Anthony, God forbid, and I would say, this is not the Anthony I know, not the man with Alzheimer's. I wouldn't say, oh, the man with Alzheimer's. No, this is Anthony, the movie director, TDN host, this is who I know. He was a fine gardener and I would make, my stories are like that. You will find that I write different ones, but it's their story. This is their life. This is how they live and this is how I portray it. So I go into their world. Like some time they will say, okay, I have to go to school. I have to get the kids to school. So right then, I have to make up something. Okay, let's go to school. The boss is coming. We have to get ready. I have to get into their world because then I kind of bring them to my world and looking for trouble. They're going to hit me. They're going to tell me, no, I'm, I'm like, let me look at, I'm the crazy one. I have to go into their world. Every day it changes. Everything. So, so yeah, um, that, is, that is very close up and personal, even if it's not like your family as yet, but I mean, the fact that you work with these people and take care of them, it's so easy for them to become part of, of our family because our brain is built up like that. Um, it's almost like if you, if, you have a, if you have a pet or you adopt a child, um, it's a total stranger that's coming into your life. But in quick time, you, you become attached to that person. So I hear that in the stories, in what you're saying. So, so we're going to come back to you so you can do, um, talk a little bit more about your work. But I, I, from what you just said, I get a good understanding a good insight into what informed um that what formed your inspiration for your writing mm. Catherine, i'm going to i'm coming back to you and um your story hearing you say 
that um, your 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 knowledge of Alzheimer's is is not firsthand, in the sense that it wasn't a father, or mother, or or like Sharon, you were close contact. What's surprising because you captured um, a lot of the emotion and a lot of the the thought process and the thought, the thought patterns and so on. That was that's excellent. So talk to listeners a little bit about your work. The work of yours that we're going to be talking about is is a story that's entitled, Will He Remember Me Tomorrow? And I must say that before I realized that story was about Alzheimer's, <laughs> being from the Caribbean, um, Burning Flames have a song about, um, Will He Remember Me Tomorrow? About um, somebody that went to a club and, and met one somebody night stand. And, and, and became romantic. A uh, one-night stand. And Will He Remember Me Tomorrow? So that's where my mind went. Um, but your story is not about that at all. Um, so, so talk about talk about uh, about the process of writing the story. Give the listeners a, a little bit um, of, of a gist of what your story um, is about. Will he remember me tomorrow? Um, it it is so strange because, like like I said before, it was never really as first-hand up and personal, except from one or two times when I realized how the gentleman was acting. And um, I realized, well, he could be a danger to himself. If the wife is not home, he just, he can't be left on his own. For one thing, all medication and sharp um, stuff have to be taken up because he forgets that he has already taken medication and he might want to take it again. You know, things like that. Or he forgets that he has already eaten and will eat again. Things like that. And the story itself, I wasn't sure where I was going with it. I just wanted to, to do something about Alzheimer's and to try to portray how everybody who is connected, family, friends, neighbors, everybody suffers when somebody has Alzheimer's. And I really hadn't planned out the story. I was just writing and, and that's what I came up with, <laughs> you know? I was just right. writing and that's what I came up with. Because at the back of my mind, I was thinking, what if when you go to see that, that father, brother, mother, uncle, he really doesn't recognize you, but he realizes, because he can still see, he can still feel, and he can observe, and he notices that you are hurt, and just to make you feel better, he pretends that you are what you say you are, but not because he remembers. And I say, okay, that's it. And I just, I just run with the story based on the fact that he doesn't really remember her, but by not remembering her, he notices that she becomes sad. And so he says, okay, to himself, I know I'm not her father, I just can't be. But if she wants me to be a father, okay. okay. That's what I'll be to her. And so he says, hi, honey. Sorry, my mind was far away, which is so <laughs> touching because his mind is so far away, it's not funny, you know, and it's like, Wow, Dad, you remembered me? You really remembered me? And then it just went from there. You know, that, that is excellent because you, you know what you, what you do with that little aspect right there is that it clarifies for a lot of folks because the, the people who interact with folks with Alzheimer's uh, are just as confused as the, as the, the, the patient, the, the, the person with Alzheimer's. And because the person cannot remember you, you or remember things that they're supposed to remember, 
you expect them to be a little bit mentally impaired. Yeah. And so you hear a lot of family members not recognizing Alzheimer's and they're saying that that person is wicked. That person is doing this on purpose. Because if he, if he cannot remember that, how comes he knows to make up something like saying, oh, sorry, my mind was far. That, that is higher level cognition. So, so they have that mental ability while at the same me time you, their memory is failing people. them. It's, it's better that they don't remember, exactly. but they are intelligent people. Exactly. Intelligent so, people. so that, that I think is, is, is like a real key that when we're dealing with people with memory loss, it's not that they cannot think in the moment and, and that their, their mental um, acuity is, is, is impaired. They might, they still can think in the moment, they still can do until it gets advanced, especially in the early stages. And so some people, uh, sometimes you have strife in a family because of that. You might find like a grandparent that is harsh with a certain grandchild. And people associate that with, he doesn't like that child because maybe he, he doesn't have a good relationship with that particular um, child. And so he passes on to the grandchild when really, and, but, but, but he, if, he, if, he so, if he so cannot remember, how come he knows that cricket on TV starts at three o'clock and he can turn on the TV every three o'clock to watch TV? Is especially he doing it, it's wickedly wicked. So I, I really, it, it really resonated with me when I, when I read the story and I saw that, that you, 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 you dealt with that nuance. Um, with Alzheimer's. So, so, so Sharon, I'm going to jump to you because you deal with, 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 with the people and you deal with the caregivers or they're not, well, you're the caregiver, but their family when they come, when they come to see them. Do you see a lot of that tension where because, because the deterioration in the mind is not, is not linear, it doesn't go in one direction, doesn't, they lose they lose ability in one aspect, but they're still sharp in another. And so it, it, it is difficult for somebody looking in to understand what's going on. Do you see that type of tension a lot when, when with, with the family members and the, and the people that you take care of? Yes, I do see that. And as I, when I read Catherine Dockset's book, I laughed when she said that the, the, the man was pretending that this woman was his daughter. You know, because the, I had this experience with this um, Alzheimer's patient, and she thought I was a daughter. Oh, and every morning I get a beating from her because I didn't do the things right. So <laughs> she changed me and put somebody else, but she don't want the other person. She wants me. So I never saw her daughter, but they say you must look like her daughter. Like oh, I come in like she's she, where, where is Sharon? She would say Sharon. Sharon and I come and oh yo yo I would get the beating because I didn't do the work right <laughs> and it goes on like that but like they're very smart as um Catherine said because you know what sometimes when you lock the door they will sit by that table and they know somebody's gonna come in for the door they're waiting for their moment when they can escape sometimes they will see the doors they exit they know what exit is maybe in their mind from a long time they will try to go they push push they want to go. The other time, one day I left, opened the area, the like patio area for them. What this guy is trying to do? He jumped the fence. 
because that means they have, you have an idea, okay, I can get, let me get out of there, I have to get out of here. He jumped the fence, that means he, because he was a police too, so he have skills, so he still have that from him. And as I said, in Monkey Mind Madness, you know, if this is their space, yes, they don't remember this, but this is theirs. Let them um, sit in their spirit, and that's why we have to enter their world. You know, I enter their world all the time, and it is hard sometimes, it is very mentally um, challenging and draining to work with them day in, day out, year in, year out. And that's why I think caregivers, um, relaxation and, and taking care of the caregiver is very important. Okay, so we, we, will, we will deal with um, what we do with caregivers. I know you, you, you have something lined up to read for us from your, from your book, uh, but let me, first let me just tell listeners who may not have joined us in the beginning that tonight our, we're talking about Alzheimer's. Uh, and and um, my guest is Ms. Catherine Dorsett and Ms. Sharon Dorival. Both of them have written uh, about uh, the experience of Alzheimer's. And this is something that is becoming more and more prevalent in our society. And, and because right now I'm focusing on reading because so many of us are at home, we have more time, we have less distractions, we have family members to keep entertained, the younger ones. Um, we have ourselves to keep entertained. And so I'm encouraging people to read. And in reading, I want to encourage you to read from your local writers. I, I want to encourage you to immerse, take the opportunity to immerse yourself in, in your culture, in, in, in your art, and, and really read uh, the works of our people. And, and so uh, to keep it fresh and, and to keep it relevant, we were talking about Alzheimer's. And so I, I want Sharon to, to read something from her book, the books that we are dealing with tonight is Will He Remember Me Tomorrow by Catherine Dorsett, Tricks on the Mind, Monkey Mind Madness, and What Will We Remember are three books um, that Sharon Dorival has written that deals with, in some way or another, with Alzheimer's. And so Sharon is going to read for us from her book, What Will We Remember? Sharon, take it from this. You can say the same. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll read from page 14, and the title of the poem is We Will Remember. We will remember shoes and dirty socks lying on the floor, books and records out of their places, singing in our own phrases. We will remember kisses are departing and coming back, the care we took to hook the photos on the wall. We will remember falls and secret jokes, the time we spent in Wonderland, using words we thought no one knew. We will remember sugarcane fields, banana and swaying coconut trees, warm cocoa tea and homemade bread before bed. We will remember dumplings, red beans and salted pig feet, dominoes and playing Batman and police, running around like hooligans, we will remember very little of favorite songs of long ago. We will preserve them like little valuables for our journey to eternity. We will remember clear skies and flying kites. We cannot forget no matter the pain when in the drowning rain to shout a friend and the loud laughter that comes after. 
we we will remember. <laughs> yes. Uh, and basically, um, it highlights the fact that people who have this type of um, challenge, mental challenge, a lot of times they remember things that they did from long ago, especially things that touched them on an emotional level that really got hardwired in their brain. And the things that they, what they cannot remember what they had for dinner last night, but they remember flying kites, they remember playing cricket and so on. And so, and so excellent. So um, what will we remember in the book of poems? Poetry, all poetry in there. All poetry, yes. Most inspirations from Dominica. So, mm -hmm. it's in Canada as in a wonderland, is Canada's wonderland, that I was referring to. And we know Don Wepo and Jail, Don Pin Red with and Pigfoot, it's a Dominica. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, because that's what I like, both of you guys, you all actually write in a very organic way, in the sense that you write uh, based on what's around you and what you are immersed in. And, and so your writing is um, is very organic. That's 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 how I that's how I would refer to it. So, so Catherine, um, do you see more? I know you live in Montserrat and you're from Dominica. Do you see what we see in? I mean, I'm in the U.S. Um, Sharon is in Canada. Do you see the increase? In the in in in, in Alzheimer's in in Montserrat in, in around you. Not really, because actually this is the the only person that I I know of. There may be more, but this mm -hmm. is the only person that I know. When I was doing my practicum just before um, this COVID nineteen came up and I had to to abort it, I was at the, the mental health facility, and there are those who are chronically ill mentally and so they they have a few issues of course once they are they are medicated and so on they are calm and they are okay but that one case is really the only one i timers in montreal there may be more i haven't researched it as a project or anything like mm -hmm. that so there may be more but this is just the one that i know yeah but that's interesting because anecdotally um we see a lot more of it. Um, even in Dominica, as a good friend of mine, um, about a month ago, he lost his sister to Alzheimer's. And um, about three or four years ago, he lost an older sister as well. Um, and there's a few, I've had a few experiences that there is a, an, a, a colleague of mine when I used to work at um, Dominica Coconut Products. Uh, they're relatively young, and her husband retired. Um, so retirement age is in the 60s, I guess, and neither of them look particularly old. And a year after he retired, he started suffering from, from memory and cognitive issues. And um, within, I think within four years, he had passed away because it progressed really, really, really fast. And, and subsequently, I found out that one of the reasons why he retired is because he was getting very forgetful. So, so Alzheimer's is something that we tend to associate with folks of an older age. But yeah. when I did yeah. some research on Alzheimer's, I found out that actually the, the term Alzheimer's referred to young people getting um, symptoms that were associated with aged people. 
So it, it, I think it originated, I think, in Germany, where the term Alzheimer's was coined. It, there was an observation that there were folks in their 40s and 50s, and well before That's you would funny. expect them to have memory issues, they were, they, were, they were demonstrating symptoms that were very similar to folks in their 80s and 90s. And so Alzheimer's was, was, was coined as the term for, to refer to that, as opposed to dementia. Um, mm. But now um, it, it has come almost full circle where we are surprised when someone who is probably sub 60, um, 65 maybe is starting to show signs of Alzheimer's. And um, what I was saying is that it seemed to be a lot more, a lot more prevalent as we, um, in, in, at least in the circles that I run. So it's very heartening to hear it's very heartening to hear that, at least in Montserrat, it does not seem to be uh, 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 an increasing um, occurrence. Well, of course, um, our population is small. Mm -hmm. and there are just a handful of us. We, we have approximately that maybe more like 4,500. Um, I haven't seen much, but I was thinking though, I was listening to you talking about the, you know, the experiences and research, but I know that you have had your own personal interactions with Alzheimer's. So I'm going to play host. I don't <laughs> share that with <laughs> You're going to turn the mic around, right? <laughs> no, uh, yeah. uh, certainly. Um, I did, I did have really close-up experience with Alzheimer's. My mother, my mother suffered from Alzheimer's and she actually died from complications with Alzheimer's. And she took, I took care of her for the last five years of her life. She, we lived together, we lived alone together for the five years um, when it was really um, accelerating. So I do have, a first-hand view of, of Alzheimer's. And it, it, it's a very interesting um, view that I have because my mother had 14 kids and, and I was number 14. Mm. And so, and she was also a preschool teacher. She had her own preschool in the village of Castlebrook. And so as a, as a child, I used to go with her to a lot of the workshops and, and, and so on to, to learn a lot of the craft. So, so I have very strong, vivid memories of as a child doing hands-on things with her. And so when I was taking care of her with Alzheimer's and seeing the deterioration of her cognitive skills, um, it, it, it was stuck. It was, it, it, you know, you have, I have something very clear to compare it to. Um, and, and so it was really, it was really a, a, a challenging and a, and a touching um, experience uh, because, I mean, I, I can totally um, identify with caregivers because I carried a full-time job at the time. Um, I was also, for two years out of it, I was also doing my master's degree. So I was in school, working full-time, and a full-time caregiver. I had, um, I had help. I had 
paid help. There would, I had three, three women that would um, come by and take care of her um, while I was at work on different and on shifts. And of course, I had friends, I had family who would also feel in. Um, it's a tough thing to watch. And it, it, especially like, you know, you know, somebody who's always reading. And so I remember when she could no longer read because when she get to the end of a line and she tried to start the next line, she would skip back up maybe to the previous line or like, like she couldn't remember which was the line that she just read. And that's how, that's how she lost her reading. Um, and it went to where um, she eventually had one of her legs amputated because she had some issues with her toe and because she wasn't cognitively there, she couldn't tell me. So by the time I noticed it, um, it was already, um, the circulation, it was so poor that they had to um, amputate. So I do have quite a bit of upfront um, experience with it. Um, going from where she could bathe herself, and I would just watch to make sure that she didn't fall to where I had to do the, to bathe her, to where I had to bathe her in bed, um, and that kind of thing, um, to where she could feed herself, supervise, to where I had to feed her, to where you had to give her um, mashed food, to where you had to do puree food, feed with a syringe. Um, so I do have the the the, the 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 spectrum, if you want to call it that, from from that. So mm -hmm. so this is, as I said, this is a topic that is very um, personal to me, because I think I don't know if it's worse that somebody say has cancer and dies from pain and that kind of thing, but it is very hard to watch um, a loved one lose their their mind um, gradually and and it's not the same for everybody because they different people lose different parts of their brain at different times and different rates so um, like the reaction will be different like my mother never wondered i I never had um to worry about locking doors that she would go out of the door I'll do it anyway but I never had that experience where she would wonder, but some people would wonder, right? I never had, um, she, she wasn't very combative. There's some, some of them get combative, but um, the, the, the ability to do things for herself, um, I'm the one who's taking care of her and she would not recognize me. The, the weird thing about it is that when I'm not there, she's always uncomfortable and asking for me. But when I am there, she doesn't know that it's me that's there. But the people, the folks who would be there taking care of me in my absence would tell me that when I'm there, she's more relaxed and, and she behaves differently from when I'm not there, even if she doesn't even know that it is me that is there. So on some level, whether it's not a cognitive level, um, she did make the connection that, that I'm the one that's there, I'm the one that's taking care of her, I'm the one that's protecting her. But... Um, to express it, uh, she did not. It, it didn't happen on that level. So yes, that is um, that's the experience that I have. There's more we can talk about, but I want to come back to you. Like, oh, you want to still play host? You, have, you seem like you have a question. But, um, 
before you, before you leave, Tony, before you leave the topic, I wanted to ask um, a question. You see, because mm -hmm. you can only dare to imagine the loneliness that they feel sometimes because they do not remember persons and they feel all alone because everybody around them look like strangers. But my question though is to you, were there times, I think that's, that's what you're saying, that there were times when she wasn't sure who you were and having you know, loved her all your life and having her say, I love you son, so many times as you were growing up, how, how did you feel? She not knowing who you are, she's not sure who you are. It was, it was difficult. Um, however, I had the, I had the good fortune that I'm a type of person who does a lot of research. Um, everything that I get into, I, I over, I over research it. So, so I did do a lot of, a lot of reading and it's, it's lucky that during the time that that was happening, the internet was available. And, and so, um, I understood it. it and I'm not saying it wasn't difficult, but it was easier to deal with because I understood that it was not anything personal. Like, like my, my sisters would come from Texas and she would recognize them immediately. And I'm here with her every day and she doesn't recognize me. You know? Um, when they call on the phone and they would ask about me, she'd say, Tony, I haven't seen Tony in, in, in a week. Tony doesn't come look for, <laughs> look for me, you know. Um, I, I, I will, I, since you, I'll give you a story that she used to, I'm not a, I'm not a very strong church-going person. Anybody that knows me knows that. I go to church. I'm a special occasions person. I go for graduations, funerals, weddings. And um, my mother, on the other hand, um, went to church at every opportunity that she got. Um, so she used to harass me to take her to church. And everybody that came to visit her on her, before she really lost a lot of her, when she could still speak, her first complaint was that I, just, I don't take her to church. So uh, this one Palm Sunday, I took her to church and we went to church and it was Palm Sunday, it was in Boston. We were living in Boston at the time. And we went to church in, um, in Madapan in, in Boston. And um, she, did the, she did the procession of the palms. Um, I took her up for Holy Communion. As a matter of fact, the funny thing, when the priest would they give the people the chalice to drink, and the priest gave her the chalice to drink, and she almost drank all the wine. I had to take the chalice from her. But anyhow, <laughs> she, did, she actually participated in the, in the church service, and she met, we met somebody that she knew from Dominica there, coincidentally, and they spoke, and she remembered who the person was, and all of that. And um, we're driving home from church, and I said to her, um, so did you enjoy your service? And she says, me? You don't take me to church. Yes. I said, but we just came from church. She's like, no. I said, you don't remember we did the procession of palms around the block? So we walked all around the block with palms singing, right? Um, you don't remember you went up for communion and the priest spoke to you and everything? She said, no, no. So I'm wow. insisting, yes, I'm, we haven't reached, we haven't gotten back home as yet, you know, we still don't know we're home from church. And she's already forgotten that she went to church, something she was harassing me to do for months, right? And then she says, as evidence that it's not true that she's coming from church, she says, I would never go to church dressed like this. 
<laughs> like I guess I guess the dress I chose I chose for her to go to church is not a dress that she would choose for herself to go to church. So she looked at her dress and she says, I would never go to church dressed like this, you know. But those are the those are the challenges that the caregivers have because as human beings, when we do things, we expect appreciation. And and it it doesn't come after a while it doesn't come because the person doesn't even remember or they don't rec they're in the moment and when it's done it's done and if thank you is something that you you need um then it's tough it's tough so caregivers um i i if you have anybody in your life listeners who's taking care of someone for Alzheimer's, one of the things that you can do for them is to just tell them go do something for the day. If you have the opportunity, do something for the weekend. I'll cover for you. Um, because it's, it is like being in a pressure cooker. Um, and, and just one more thing I would say is that on TDN Radio, when the year started, I challenged my listener, listeners to pick one person that they were going to be, to be there for for the year in whatever form that took, whether it's monetary, whether it's time, it might be a young person that's struggling with kids, so you give them, you give them some childcare. It might just be somebody that you call once a week and talk to them. Uh, I challenge my listeners to do, to be there for one person, at least one person. So if you're Sharon, you don't even have to tell her. You just know that in your mind, you decide you're going to be there for Sharon. And so Sharon, at the end of the year, Sharon should be able to look back and become to you as one of her blessings for that year. And so if you haven't done that, um, that is probably, and, and because maybe you don't know who you would choose or how you would choose somebody to be there for, if you know anybody who is taking care of someone who has Alzheimer's or, or dementia, uh, you, could, you, could, you could give them a lot of help by just giving them um, a little relief valve. Okay. All right, so can I, can I reclaim my, you have a question, Sharon? Did you ever feel frustrated with your mom? That you just oh, want yes. to give up and walk away? Well, I never felt like giving up and walking away because my mother raised me as a caregiver. Um, as, as a young boy, there were a couple people in the village and she would send, give me food to bring for them and they couldn't feed themselves, so I had to feed them. And sometimes when I'm feeding them, they would mess themselves. And I'm not a person, I, I, I'm not a person that can see mess and not do something about it. So, and I was young, I, I, was, I was not 10 years old at the time because I, I left home at 11 to go to grammar school. So it was before that age. Um, and so, whether she, I'm sure it wasn't planned, but um, that that identification with older folks, um, identification with people who could not do for themselves. Lucky for her, she she raised me in that mode, right? So it was not it was not as big a challenge to do it. But yes, there were there were times of frustration. Um, so for example. I work in construction, I work as a construction manager. And so some, I would have to start work at 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning 
And so I would wake up early, um, feed her, clean her up before I leave because the first caregiver would come for eight. So she would be on her own for like two hours, hour and a half. And sometimes I'm trying to feed her and for whatever reason, she doesn't like what I'm feeding her. And on more than one occasion, she would spit out whatever I put in her mouth back when I'm already dressed for work. So you you learn to so 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 that's another reason why I knew I would never um, put her in a in a care where I don't I'm not part of the care for more than 24 hours because if if she could invoke those feelings in me um, certainly in a stranger you would expect at least that or more right and it's no excuse for someone to abuse somebody who's in their care but it is it can happen yeah. it can happen and and so if i'm her son and i could experience some of that um like it wouldn't last i wouldn't go there i never got to the point where i wanted to to slap or slap at or anything like that but you but but i could see it happening with someone who's not as connected yeah. emotionally to, to that person and and so um, that's what I would say to family. If you have, if you have someone in a home or someone who is in the care of others, um, show a lot of empathy to the caregivers, and recognize that you need to be there as well, um, mm -hmm. because it's easy for that person to say, even if not consciously, subconsciously, that your people don't care about you. And therefore, it's easy to go to a place where they get neglected or worse, they get abused. Yeah. And what I have noticed, um, the more family that show up for the family, for the residents, the more support they get. Those who I, I have observed who have no family coming around, it's like they, as you say, get more neglected and they uh, like, they don't get as much um, care. They don't go out. But when you know that the family can come anytime, you keep everything speaking fine. You're on your tippy toes. Yeah. And I find like, why people do that? Why not show them the love every single day because you're paid to take care of them? Why um, show preference? You know, that's one thing our manager said no preferences. And we encourage not to become attached to the residents, but who can? Who cannot get attached to them, you know? I do. And then therefore, sometimes when they pass away, we cry. Yes, we can see that our manager see us cry, but we hide and we shed our tears out because we know we cannot get attached to that. But like I have to encourage family to always come. And I'm, I'm really happy that you take care of your mom, Anthony. That is very good. Because it just two weeks ago, I saw a video from Dominica. And this guy, the son, the father is cooking. And, but if I is peeling the green bananas, and the father is like 56, he's slow, he's getting slower. So like, how comes, you know, you're taking too long. You know, the water is before, the water boil already, before you even finish peel, Kali, one thing of fig. You know, hurry up now, the food, the, 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 your grandkids are waiting for the food. I'm like, whoa, that's, that hurts my heart. Because like, how I raise up, as you say, we learn to love, all right? From, from Dominica, and to see the other generation doing that, to the people that there was just one generation before me, it hurts. And I think Dominica have to do something better than that. We cannot treat our people like that. We can't treat our parents. So we have to learn. Well, the heartening thing about it is that it's not, it's not uniform because there are still folks who, who take care of their, of their folks. 
um, programs like this, the work, the, the writing that you do, the writing that Catherine does, also helps to, to help people to understand. Because it's something that is not easy to understand. Because maybe that person grew up with their father who was very strong and always taking care of stuff and whatnot and whatnot. And so he has that feeling and that, that is the relationship he, he has with his father. And he may not be there in, um, empathetically as yet to, to, to make the change. Um, and so when we see those things, um, it's not to excuse them, but it's to definitely address them and address them with education. So I applaud, I applaud you guys for, for producing the writing and the, and the art, the poetry, the stories that can help um, educate folks. And I know my accountability partner is looking at me and, and saying that I should write mine. Uh, <laughs> and the idea is that I will. But, but Catherine, let me, let me um, I've taken back my host, Mike. Um, one of these is I must bring you on as a guest host to interview me. Let's see what it feels like to be on the other side. Um, but are you, are you going to do more writing about that type of, because you, you are in social work, right? Yeah. Yeah, you are in social work. So you, do you plan to do a little more work around that, around that topic? Well, I'm actually at, at my, I work with the Ministry of Education, but I'm attached to the youth department mm -hmm. and I'm the youth and community development worker. My okay. bachelor's degree, which I am still doing, is um, in social work. So that's my okay. major. Mm -hmm. And um, we, we see a lot of, we work mostly with the youth, but I like working with the elderly. And um, even as a, as a Christian, we go out on Sabbath, we go visiting, um, we have to come there here and so on. And I think even without the issue of Alzheimer's, I still think some persons, well, there is still need for public education and education campaign about treating the early better. Because like we said earlier in our discussion, some persons still believe that when the elderly act up, that is not to say that there are not some that are you know, kind of mischievous, but it is not all of them. And until we get to the point where what we do with these elderly persons are not just to bring us a paycheck, our, our elderly are going to suffer. Yeah. It really has to be something that we do because we love the old people. Mm -hmm. If it is just a job, we're going to run out of patience, we're going to run out of the human element that makes us different and we're not going to treat them well. Because you have somebody who, who you love, and because of the particular issue that is happening at the time, whether it's Alzheimer's or maybe just a disease, and the person is getting on in a funny way. And although this is somebody that you love and care for, you get frustrated and sometimes exactly. you want to, you know, it's like, so let us, what happens to somebody who have absolutely no connection to you? And that old person is maybe having a bad day. Mm -hmm. The chances of that elderly person being abused is so possible that, that the start of it is really, really horrible. So we really have to educate our person. I haven't seen elderly abuse. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say that it is going on. Yeah. But we cannot be blind either. We know that these are things that are very possible. And it is only fair to 
help or teach or really train the persons who work with them, show them like they're not being wicked, they're not being stubborn, they're not being bad. This is just who they are because you have a nice little baby, a couple months old, you feed them this porridge and it's feed it back to you and it's fun. It's fun for them. Now the elderly person has returned to that stage. Mm-hmm. So what makes it wicked? You know what I mean? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Until they see it that way, mm-hmm. they're not going to appreciate the stage that the person is in and the person may just get abused. Mm-hmm. So these, these are things that I, I worry about. What I have learned is that usually with the resident and strike at us, they are reacting to something in their past. And I will tell a story, read part of a story of one guy with a suitcase. He used to carry his suitcase everywhere. And we wonder why he wouldn't trust anybody with his suitcase. His suitcase by his bed. He goes out to lunch, suitcase with him. What I, when I did more research into it, I find out that he was actually attacked in a gas station years ago. He was a construction worker, taking his tool back and he was attacked, all his money. So before we enter his room, he's ready to punks on us. He's ready, he's just there and he is ready. So if you're not ready, you're not on guard on the other side, you're going to get it. And like he have knocked out a couple of arrest um, okay. of the caregivers, mm-hmm. you know. But we have to know how to approach and what to do at the time. And this is where you come in. Maybe I don't know if you can tr- do education um, through CARICOM or, or you just focus in Monstrat. Catherine, she was at, yeah, so, you know, I, I mean, maybe take a stab at that because the need for education is, is strong. And um, I guess with your um, work in the region, is there a way, for example, to have some of that enter into like the CXC curriculum? Um, so that when the kids that go to school, whether in social studies or, or one, of their, one of their subjects, civics or whatever, they, they, they deal with um, memory loss and, and aging, basically. Do you, do you, do you know if, if any of that is being in consideration? We're talking about Montserrat. Or in the region, I, I, like, you, like, I know you do work with um, UWI, right? Well, for, okay, well, on Montserrat, the government, whichever government is in power at the time, they paid real attention to the elderly. We have, okay. um, we do not call it the infirmary like in Dominica, but we have the, the warden supported units. So there are those who are semi-independent, so they have their own units, they do everything for themselves. But there's a warden who make the rounds to make sure they are okay. Then we have the Golden Years Home, where they, this is like the infirmary. Mm-hmm. Um, it is um, subsidized by the government, where they are really um, not able. Mm-hmm. But most of those persons have, quote unquote, private rooms that family members pay for. Some do not, but most of those are paid for um, rooms. And then we have the magazine home, which is like the common infirmary section, where persons that the women are upstairs, I think, and the men are downstairs. And um, it's like a, the common um, infirmary. And we also have for our mentally challenged persons, we have special buildings for them. We have um, furnished one room um, apartments, of course, Sometimes, depending on the level of, of illness, they are more on the street than in the house. 
but they do have that place. And for those who are who are more ill, we have the Oyol Villa, which is the the mental health facility. And um, there are how many of them? Fourteen, I think. Um, I I don't quite remember the number. There are those of you who are chronically ill mentally. There are those who are they are ill, but once they're on the medication, that is okay. Some of them go out on the streets, you know. They don't trouble anybody unless maybe they they miss out their medication and they may get troublesome. Sometimes and we need to call the police to take them in so they can get medicated. But they do look after the, the elderly here. That, a lot that's of um, really effort is going into providing education because what the slogan is, one in four has a mental defect, a mental disease. So when you count four persons and you're one of the four, it may just be you, you know. And what we the, the information <laughs> that is there's four of us on the screen. Two of them is Anthony, so I, I suspect Anthony is one with mental illness. I know because they, they say one in four. I think right. that is just it. It may be correct, but I am thinking is a way of sensitizing persons. This can happen to anyone, and of right. course there are persons who are mentally ill. But they are really, really functional. Once they take their medication, you would never know unless something happens. You know, they take their medication, they go to work. They may be, in, um, they may be your boss, but you never know unless, you know, something happens. So it is not like something to scorn. It may happen to anyone. Right. Oh, it's, very heartening. it's very heartening to see that, um, to hear the organized manner in which um, it's dealt with in Montserrat. And... Like that brings the question again. We hope that um, where they have successful programs like that, they can be used as a model um, to, to inform. And as I said, everything starts with education. It's, it, it, the opportunity is there because unlike in the past where um, we used to, our curriculum used to come from outside the region, with CXC, we have a little more control on that. But Sharon, you said you were going to read um, something else for us. I want to ask Helena one more question, though. Sure. Um, do you find that they are over-medicated in your area? Like, to me, I think they are kind of over-medicated here. Because sometimes, when after they get the medicine, they just, like, sleep. Like, you know, just, uh, you can hardly get them to go and do activities. So what about the medication aspect? You find that it's, it's from, from what I have seen and from what I know, those chronically ill ones, the few that are chronically ill, they're always inside, they never go out, and they're either asleep or just sitting, you know, staring away. Off. Quote unquote, regular ones, they get the medication, you know who they are. Yeah, it's like a street person, but they do not have the you know, the you go to cat and so on. But you because most is so small, everybody knows everybody, so you know who they are. But they I remember at one point there was this doctor in Dominica. What was his name? Dr. Taid. I mean, people used to work like robots in Dominica. Yeah. I remember that clearly. I don't, know. I don't know if you ever if you remember that, but I remember when persons mental challenges, once they went to Dr. Taid, when next you saw them, they were working like robots. I haven't seen that in Montserrat. Hmm. I have never seen that on my track. You I, know, I guess because different, different. small, you know when uh -huh. some of them are on medication because they are really, really docile. Yes. They are not generally aggressive, mm -hmm. but they are much more docile than 
quote unquote normal. So you know they are medication. But I'm never I wouldn't think, at least to my mind, they are not over medicating. Because no, they are no. let out. They have um we plan events for them. We have movie nights, we have arts and crafts, they, they are really there. We teach them how to wash their hands with the hand sanitizer and they I mean some of them are really intelligent. It's just that they're not well. But some mm. of these people I mean, they're, they're really bright. So, so, yeah, Sharon, you said you were going to read one more thing. We, we're coming up on, we're pushing hard against the hour. I think we've passed the hour. But go ahead. From which book? I will read for, uh, something from Monkey Mind Madness. Mm -hmm. This is uh, part of Stacy's letter. And on Saturday, broth was served and they are not cheap on the ingredients at all. He was bearing life. He was, he was beaming, life is good when you are content, he says. I looked up from our conversation and I saw a rather small man with an extremely large suitcase and I wondered where he was going. Where did he come from? What will he be eating for supper? I remember him, he looked about two feet and weighed maybe not even 60, five pounds, yet he carried that oversized suitcase. I wondered if he was running away from home. Who is he taking a break from? I have often heard about men running away from their wives in foreign lands and relocating in Dominica. <laughs> this man spiked my interest, so I whispered to Calvert, and we began our adventure of following the man from a safe distance. The pursuit took us all the way to the botanical gardens. We hid under the tree, then moved quickly to the flamboyant tree. When the man turned around and came to sit right under the tree we were hiding, we giggled like little children, more out of embarrassment than pleasure. Why are you following me? Little man asked. Kelva blurted out, you look interesting. And your suitcase is 40 times bigger than you are. We followed you to see what you would do when you get tired of carrying this oversized load. We had nothing better to do, and now we are stuck with you. He, he laughed out loud at how funny life is and how curiosity kills the cat. I knew he was referring to me, of course. I could punch him really hard. A little man invited us to to his adventure in the oversized suitcase. He had spent four years in Europe, three years in West Africa, five years in Egypt, one year in Israel, two years in North America. No, he's in Dominica. And he's hoping he can spend the rest of his life there. He showed us what he has discovered about life so far. Life was in his oversized suitcase. Joy was encased within this suitcase. This man was a collector of life, a collector of joy, <clears throat> would no longer no one ever find joy, no matter how much money the dispenser makes. I look at the lock on his suitcase in shock. Kelver couldn't wait to see what joy looks like because to him, joy was contentment and he was already content with life. He laid a big, he laughed a big belly laugh again. 
he sat down underneath the shade of his this colorful tree, not knowing which of these souvenirs of light being displayed in our mind's eyes would we investigate first. I didn't know what was so funny, but Kelva burst out a big bubbly laugh again, and little man joined in. <laughs> I just sat there mesmerized. They laughed and laughed like they were old pals. Before they were, be maybe they were. Maybe they were on the same journey. Who knows? They kept laughing and laughing their bubbly laugh. I could not take it any longer. So I started laughing too. I guess you can say I was infected. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to buy the book to know what is in the suitcase. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> interesting interesting yeah, you know, the the writing really is about um well the name of your book is what monkey mind madness monkey mind madness monkey mind madness so listeners um my 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 guest today is miss Catherine dorset and she wrote will he remember me tomorrow sharon darivel wrote tricks on the mind uh, monkey mind madness and what will we remember tomorrow our topic of discussion tonight is alzheimer's just in its generality and in the way it affects us in it it affects us i'm not saying how it can affect us affect us because all of us are touched in one way or another by by folks who are suffering from alzheimer's or dementia uh, or some kind of memory deterioration and so my objective tonight was to was to bring you to bring that topic to the front of your mind um i want to i want you to to think about it a little more i i want you to as you go about your daily lives to to recognize who are the folks around you who are dealing with it, whether personally or whether they have loved ones that they're taking care of who's dealing with it. All of us should educate ourselves and become more familiar with it because it is said that um, early, early detection will help to, to, to the popular phrase now is flatten the curve, but it really will make it the, the deterioration more gradual if we can recognize it early and um, we, can, we can start to do something about it. We can actually stretch it out and we can help to, to lessen the rate at which we have deterioration. Also, we need to really put pressure on the powers that be to fund research into Alzheimer's. And, um, I, I think my mother would have lived to be 100 years if it wasn't for Alzheimer's. Her mother lived to be uh, 107, and um, she died at 87 with no diabetes, no hypertension, or any of those things. All her hair, um, you know, um, physically all right. Um, she, she just um, deteriorated because of Alzheimer's. And so, a lot of our folks would be around a little bit longer um, if we can if we can take care of that. We we are pretty much at the end of, of, of our conversation. A very interesting conversation, um, very engaging conversation for a topic that is really challenging. Um, I'm going to come back through 
and, and ask Catherine to, to give closing, it's another workshop, not closing remarks, but <laughs> to express your, your final thoughts on our discussion tonight. You, Catherine. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't quite hear you. Um, I know you said you I, um, I, I am happy that you you brought up this discussion. I think it is time. I think um, it is the well thought out plan, and especially now because COVID nineteen has everybody locked in, and so there are families where elderly persons may or may not have Alzheimer's but they may be acting out and because everybody's in one place persons the children the carers may be getting frustrated so hopefully they may see or hear about this discussion and get some hope they will know that the person the elderly persons they're not being wicked or troublesome or, or stubborn they just maybe are not well and it may help them to understand that the stage in their lives and that it is worked around what goes around comes around if we help them out today god will just bless us somebody else will help us along the way ourselves because we do not know how we're going to turn out tomorrow so let us just be kind to one another not just because we want them to be kind to us again because the person that you're kind to not the person who is kind to you but just be kind because everybody's in a struggle one way or the other so, Sharon, final thoughts? I want to encourage everybody, all hands, we're together. Let's be united globally as we fight this devastating disease. Let's encourage each other, take up Anthony's challenge of the beginning of the year, and talk to somebody you know who works with Alzheimer's patients or who have a family, you know, or some family members, encourage somebody. And let's learn more. Youth, don't despair. Have a little patience with your granny or with your mom if you find there's memory losses, memory lapse. Have patience. They are not on purpose and it's not, they're not trying to trick you. Trick on the mind, read this. It's not a trick. Life itself is a trick, they say, but it's not a trick. It is real. And we have to all learn to be better, to know how to handle our own, our own family members and not just push them off to the caregivers because you don't understand the disease or because you think you don't have time or because you think when you were growing up, they weren't there for you. You know, come and visit. If you have your family there, come and visit them. You don't have to come every day. Now there's Zoom. During COVID-19, what we're doing? Zoom, WhatsApp, Facebook. Make an appointment and call and you can talk to your people there. Get the managers to come and they bring the phone to the residents as we do and they can see you face to face. They might want to touch you and they, not, they feel that they cannot, but at least they can see your face, they can see your smile and you can talk to them. That is encouragement enough. Thank you. All right. And I thank you both uh, so much. Um, as, I, as you realize, this is a topic that means a lot to me. And, and I really like um, the empathy that both of you have in your writing, both of you ha we had in the discussion. The, the, the thing about it is that we live in a part of the world where the older folks are not as appreciated or as valuable as maybe our folks were in Africa 
And so we, growing up when we were younger, our parents were still influenced by some of the culture that came across the Atlantic from Africa, where elders are really revered. And in Dominica, we, have, we still have the Caribs. And we know the Caribs really had that system. Well, the Kalinago people, I'm sorry for saying the Caribs because they call themselves the Kalinago. So the Kalinago people um, really had a system where that was based in fact on elders. Elders being the, um, the, the folks who would really um, pass judgment and so on. So if we live in a society where the older folks are more appreciated, and their counsel is sought after more, then the, the, the deterioration that goes with aging will automatically retreat. Because a, a lot of times we see that these diseases of, of the brain, of the mind, um, accelerate when people become less engaged, when they retire, when if they, if they have a disease that maybe prevents them from being able to read anymore or write or or be engaged or, or, or feel like they're valuable, they're still valuable and people come to talk to them and appreciate their input. And so we really have to focus on, on teaching our young people the value of, of older folks. Um, they may not know how to set up Zoom, but they may be able to give you some nuggets of truth that you can use in your business and in your negotiation. They have experiences, they can tell you stories and, and so on. When they had to do things where it was more challenging to get around. Um, you work, imagine you work in Dominica as an engineer and if something breaks, it takes three months to order it from England mm -hmm. and, and you have to keep the generator running at Domlek. So you have to find an innovative way to solve that. Those folks have all of that knowledge locked in their heads. Um, and you can go talk to them. You talk to a banker and he will tell you about a time when the economy was really bad after the hurricane and they had to come up with creative ways to, to help folks to finance their businesses and to keep their, their, their things going. So there's so much knowledge locked into our older folks that it's a shame and it's a real loss to society if we just allow them to just sit there and rot with Alzheimer's. And so... I, I really thank um, my two guests tonight, Ms. Catherine Dorsett and Ms. Sharon Dorival. The books that we focused on tonight was um, Will He Remember Me Tomorrow by Catherine Dorsett. Um, Sharon Dorival, we did Monkey Mind Madness, Trick on the Mind, and What Will We Remember? Look for those books. They're all available on Amazon and on Lulu. Um, Sharon, where else is your book available? At Walmart, um, all mostly all um, online stores. Online some stores. Other, or that Jay's bookstore, you can find some in Dominica. Okay. Yeah. And Catherine, you you've written much more than just this one book, and one story that that deals with Alzheimer's. So I want to give you the opportunity to tell listeners where they can actually find your work. You have some excellent work. Um, and you like last time you were there, we spoke about fire and monster. Um, this hot sizzling um, romance. So for those of you, for, we picked up quite a few listeners since that time. Um, you can tell them where they can, where they can find your work as well and any other projects that you're working on. Um, we have privilege, so we can take a few minutes extra. Thanks. Um, well, all of my books are on Amazon. 
And I think I can now say wherever books are sold, because we have been getting some wide marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have been trying to get to Domina. I actually sent um, Fire on Monshat because it was returned. They said they couldn't find a place. To so I am trying to negotiate to try to have my books sold. To date, I have um, certain books and I'm actually working on one. You know, I thought and being home for that length of time that I would have just gotten, you know, at least two books going. Mm-hmm. But it is not quite the same. When this solitude is forced on you, it's not the same as when you choose to do it. So the writing <laughs> isn't coming. <laughs> the writing isn't coming as I thought it would. But I, I am doing a little writing. I'm trying to do some every day. And um, yes, my, my books are on Amazon. I'm trying to get some sold in um, Dominica. Okay. Well, I wish you luck with that. And Sharon, you too, with your ongoing projects and your upcoming projects. Both of you guys know you have an open mic on this week in interview and on TDN Radio. Just reach out. Um, even if I have a guest, um, it doesn't take anything from anyone to give you five, ten minutes um, to inform the listeners of any projects that you have upcoming or outgoing. So don't, don't hesitate at all. Um, you will get the full hour um, scheduled, but if, um, if there's something that really needs to, to, to happen, um, I will always be able to give you a five, ten minutes before my schedule, guess if, if that is the need that you have. So I, I thank you very much. You see? All right. So good night, listeners. And good night to my wonderful guests. I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, and um, I, hope, I hope that you learned um, something about Alzheimer's. But more than that, I hope that it motivated you to go learn more about Alzheimer's, uh, motivated you to look around you and, and not, not have these people invisible. There are some people who are home without caregivers. Go help them. There are some people who are giving care on their own and they're under tremendous strain, help relieve their stress. Um, just pay a little bit more attention to the folks in our society who are dealing with um, cognitive impairment um, in the form of Alzheimer's and dementia and um, mental, mental illness. So good night, folks. And we will see you again next week, Wednesday, for another episode of This Week in Interview. Thank you. Good night. Good night.